start out by reading in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's where we, are, where we are this morning, so please open up your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And the title of this morning's message is Know God and Obey His Word. Uh, just uh, very simple, and yet the very thing that Paul desired of his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. He had spent very little time with them, and in that short time he uh, rejoiced in the fact that they were uh, demonstrating the love that they have for God by demonstrating the love toward one another. And yet in their strength, they still needed to be encouraged, exhorted. They needed to be stirred up to love and good works, as we know it says in Hebrews chapter 10, that they would not deviate, would not be distracted from growing in their understanding and knowledge of who God is and obeying his word. So let's read. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing Abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Heavenly Father. This judgment that we are about to study and I pray, understand a bit more. Lord, this judgment comes to the church, your people. Lord, that it may test whether our faith is genuine or not. Lord, it is not for your knowledge that you would come to an awareness. Lord, it is for our awareness, our understanding, so that it would be revealed for us to see and, Lord, perhaps uh, confess if we don't possess it. uh, Or, Lord, be encouraged to continue to grow in the Lord, to draw near to him, to grow in our passion and our zeal, to bless and glorify you, to be refined to be molded and shaped into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that your desire, according to your word, is that 
we may come to know you better. That the love that we have for you would grow. And in so doing, we will learn how to love each other. And therefore, glorify our Father who is in heaven as we love others and bless you. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, your anointing. Give us understanding by your spirit and in your word. And we commit this time into your hands, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. C.H. Burgeon once said, quote, Christians can never sin cheaply. They pay a heavy price for iniquity. Transgression destroys peace of mind, obscures fellowship with Jesus, hinders prayer, brings darkness over the soul. Therefore, be not the serf and bondman of sin, close quote. Now, Paul begins his letter to the Thessalonians, the church that he had founded on his second missionary journey, according to Acts chapter 17, with the mention of two, two trusted and loyal companions, Silvanus, also known as Silas, and uh, Timothy. He begins by uh, addressing or mentioning their names as uh, being there as he's writing this letter. And so with that, we ought to know who, who we have. Who's there with the Apostle Paul? Silvanus, Silas, was a man who had endured much at the side of the Apostle Paul, including having been imprisoned in Philippi. He experienced much at the hand of those who came against the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was faithful to the gospel, and therefore he stood with the Apostle Paul and endured much at his side. He and Paul were falsely accused of abdicating for the breaking of the Roman law, which was, of course, false. It was not true. And, and a mob had gathered together around them to come against them and, and attack them. They were beaten with rods, thrown into jail, having their feet chained with stocks. And this is all according to Acts chapter 17. But this was a man also who was with Paul as he was imprisoned in shackles with other prisoners, and they were thrown into the inner chamber of the prison, not, not just a holding cell, into the very depths of the prison. And it was at midnight that the other prisoners heard something peculiar, something odd, something that you wouldn't normally hear in a prison cell. Hymns, singing, praising the Lord, Praying to their God. The prisoners listening. The earth shook. And the doors of all the cells flew open. Their shackles were loosened. And it was at that time that the jailer came to his senses and he was about to kill himself, coming to the understanding that perhaps if they all escaped, that he too would be put to death. And so... He was just going to take his life. But he heard a voice from the distance. The Apostle Paul telling, telling him not to harm himself. And, and so Silas was the one who was right next to him, experiencing all of these things. He was a, a trusted and loyal companion of the Apostle Paul. He saw it all. And the Thessalonians knew both Silvanus as well as the Apostle Paul. And they were both together. And he was there, being mentioned by name, 
to those in Thessalonica, to the brothers and sisters there, so that they too would be encouraged. Timothy was the other one that was mentioned in the introduction of this letter. Timothy was a young man from Lystra, which is in Galatia, which is today known as Turkey, who had a Jewish mother and a Greek father. He had been taught the scriptures growing up by his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, according to 2 Timothy. He was another trusted and loyal companion of the Apostle Paul as he accompanied him on several of his missionary journeys and had even sent Timothy to the Thessalonians to establish and exhort them in their faith that they be not moved by these afflictions that they were experiencing for you yourselves know that we are destined for this very thing. So these words that he shared with the Thessalonians were ones that are true for us today and ones that Timothy and Silas knew very well. And yet they, they remained loyal to the gospel of Jesus Christ, willing to endure persecutions and afflictions and even being imprisoned, beaten, for they knew to live as Christ and to die as gain. By all this, these men and what they lived out day in and day out, we know that what Paul is about to exhort the church in Thessalonica in is serving to establish them in their faith. That was the, the, the very thing that the Apostle Paul wanted to do with each and every fellowship that he wrote to and preached to and he taught. He wanted them to be established in their faith, grow in their faith, be grounded in their faith, that they have depth in their faith, that there was substance to it that they would apply it to their lives with great understanding. And so we are here this morning for that very same purpose, that you too would be established in your faith, that as you are faced with various circumstances and trials in your lives, that you also would know how to apply God's word in such a way that God would be glorified and you would be encouraged in your faith. Paul had a deep concern for this church. And this is in spite of or because of, perhaps, I would think, that he was eager uh, to pass along to them something that would encourage them in their faith. Because he had actually received a good report about them and their faith, according to the first letter that he wrote to them. And so they knew. They, they were a church whom he, who he gave like thanks for, he was grateful for, he knew that their love was growing toward one another, and we're going to learn that in, in the next portion that we're going to. But he knew that about this church. Yet he, even more so, wanted them to be warned, wanted them to grow in their faith. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So he knew this about them. So in this letter, Paul will encourage them to give themselves to good work and faith by God's power to glorify Jesus Christ. Paul is also warning them of people who deceive. It's a good warning. Encouraging them to stand firm in their faith to pray against the wicked who attempt to stop the gospel from being spread, and to pray for the gospel to spread, and to never 
grow weary of doing good. You see, everyone is susceptible to laziness. Uh, Not one of us is exempt from being inclined to, in some way, shape, or form, catch ourselves being lazy, like go into that place of being lazy. In growing in our relationship with God through the reading and study of God's Word, uh, being consistent in our fellowship, being continuous in prayer and serving God. And Paul has a strong warning for the church. And God has a strong warning for the church even this morning. To be careful to not allow ourselves to be lazy in our study and our fellowship with God and the obedience of His Word. It's a strong exhortation. At the same time, it's, a, it, it's, it's, a, it's an obvious word of love that comes our way. So let's take a look at how the Apostle Paul addresses this topic to the church in Thessalonica and how we today can benefit from this. And that's what I pray, that we walk away benefiting from the word that God has for us this morning. That it would have an impact, an effect in our lives, and it be reflected by the way we live out our lives. So number one, and three things, though, we have here is is number one, grow abundantly. We're going to see this uh, with the few verses here up to verse 4. Number 2, know God and obey His word. And number 3, be worthy of your calling. So let's take a look at the importance of growing abundantly. So verse 3 says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you and the churches of God for for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Paul is one of the things that we ought to always uh, look to is that Paul is never shy about uh, writing what he is thankful for. He's a man that endured much, and and yet at the same time, at the same time, he was joyful. He was grateful. He lived out his life with, with zeal and a deep desire to bless and glorify the Lord. And he points out what is good. He starts out this way. It's always good to start out a letter, right? With something good. Something good. And so he points out what is good, and then he goes on to warning about what is bad, what is undesirable, what is even evil, that which God is going to judge. He talks about that too, but he starts out with this. Here Paul tells the church that he is thankful for the brothers and sisters there in Thessalonica because their faith is growing. And it's not just growing, it is growing abundantly. With with great abundance. It hasn't stopped. It's not gradual. It's not a slow growth, in fact. You know, sometimes our faith takes a a little time to get going, and, you know, we we reluctantly apply God's word here and there in our lives, and we're encouraged by that. Well, there are other lives that as soon as they come to Christ and they're new creatures in Christ, oh, they jump in with both feet, don't they? You see them, wow, you're definitely a new creature in Christ. 
You are exercising your faith in the Lord and God's word in such a way that it is just obvious that there's something different with you. Well, for them in Thessalonica, it was accelerated. They were on, you could say, a faith fast track. You know, they were just applying God's word in such a way that they believed his promises in full. And Paul was thankful for that. He was thankful to God for that. He didn't tell them to slow down. He encouraged them to keep going. Keep going. There are some of you today, and I know of you, that you just came to the Lord this year, and you've jumped in with both feet. I encourage you, keep going. Keep growing. Never, ever, don't ever slow down. Don't let anything distract you, take you off course. For those of you who have been walking with the Lord for some time, I encourage you to pray that God would renew that zeal and passion for Him. That you too would continue to grow in your faith. Because until we come to that place where we are in God's glory for all eternity, we should never stop growing. And then share that faith with others. Share it with each other. For this church, their faith was growing abundantly. This means that their faith was overflowing. It was, as we would think of today, like extreme. It was plentiful. In what way? Well, you could see it. There was evidence of it. You don't have to hunt for it or look for it. You now let's kind of sift through and see if we can find some evidence of, of their faith. No, no, no. It was, it was apparent. It was obvious. It doesn't have to be explained. It was just there. I have this uh, little Meyer lemon tree in the backyard right now. Anyone have a Meyer lemon tree there? Mine has an abundance of fruit. And the poor thing, it's not that big. But man, it has so many lemons that that all the limbs, I can hear them. Right? It is, they're all down low. It's just full with fruit. You don't have to tell anyone, you know what? That tree there has lemons. It, it's just like you look that way from a distance. You're like, that tree has lemons. And that tree has lots of lemons. It's like all over the place. It's just overflowing with lemons. That tree is producing tons of fruit. That you know, The lemons are just hanging I wouldn't have, you wouldn't have to, just bring them around the, the lemon tree. Whoa, look at that lemon tree. Is it okay? <laughs> it's just so much fruit. And likewise, it was obvious that they were heavy with the fruit of faith. It was just obvious. That's my prayer for this church, that when people walk through the doors, that it is just obvious. It's like, you know what? At this church, we love Jesus. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I know you love Jesus. At, at this church, uh, we love, we love each other. You don't, you don't have to tell me that. It's just, it's just obvious. It's just obvious. Like the the fruit of our faith, the fruit of God's love, is evident, and it is overflowing. It's just there. Now, how would Paul know this? 
Well, it says here that because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is stagnant. No, it's increasing. Right? It's not stagnant. It's increasing. It it, it just keeps getting better. It keeps growing. Better does not mean perfect. Please, let's get that straight. Better is not perfection. Better is just knowing how to apply God's word in various situations to the glory of God so that we would demonstrate our love for God by the way we love each other. In fact, Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we demonstrate that we are Jesus' disciples by being obedient to him and loving one another. A good description of this type of love is found in Colossians chapter 3. So please save your place there and go back with me, or just a little bit here, to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Which says, put on then as God's chosen ones. In other words, this, is, this should be our, our clothing, what is apparent, what is obvious. You could see it. It's there. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If we can reflect that, then we are doing well to glorify the Lord. So that's a description. That's where we can go to that. If, if you haven't taken a note of, of Colossians chapter 3, you know, go to that and look through it. And let's reflect in our own lives to see whether we are expressing that within this fellowship. And in your heart. And in your own life. This love that they had for each other was worth boasting about, according to the Apostle Paul. To who? He, he went around, he, so he went around speaking to, in different churches and encouraging them, strengthening them. And he was boasting to everyone about the Thessalonians. The love that they had for one another. They're, they're growing abundantly in their faith. This is a good thing to compete for. Being the church known for the love that we have for God and for each other. Oh, you know, that's a good thing to compete for. Let's, let's be known for that church, to be that church. That we love God and we love one another. And they weren't an old established church. Oh, they've been around for years. No, they were a new church. All churches at that time were new, Right? 
They were all new. But they were growing in their faith and expression of it. They were demonstrating the love for Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But it would be easy to grow abundantly in our faith and in the love for one another to increase if everything was just perfect. It's just perfect, right? Everything's going good. Growing in our faith, growing in our love for one another, everything's perfect. But there is not one perfect church. No, not one. There is not one perfect family. There's not one perfect life, not one perfect job, not one perfect marriage. And so our faith is tested and tried and hopefully proved to be genuine by continuing in our love of God through. And in the face of these circumstances, in our love for each other through tough times. I'm reminded, and I shared this with um, some brothers earlier uh, this morning, James 1, 2 through 4. I know that someone here has it memorized, right? Anyone have it memorized? I won't pick on you, but... Oh, no one? Okay, that's your homework. Memorize James 1, 2 through 4. I'll give it to, to you in the New King James Version. I'll start you out. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. A mature person in in the faith. But, But get this, that the Lord tests your faith. He does test it, as we said from the very beginning. We are tried and hopefully found to be genuine. Because this is what Paul was boasting about to the other churches. About that the church in Thessalonica was growing abundantly in their faith with love toward one another in the midst of persecutions and afflictions. In the midst of these things. Not in the absence of, but in the middle of them, through them. This is what made Paul boast. And the question for us is we ask ourselves individually... But as a whole, at the same time, are we that church? That can only be true if each person gives himself to growing in their faith and our love for one another is always increasing. We never settle. We never say, oh, we're fine where we're at. No, no, no. Always learn how to love each other a bit more. We can never be perfect in our love for one another as our love for God isn't perfect either. We have to always grow in our understanding and our application as we understand of our love toward the Lord and for each other. So number one, grow abundantly. Number two, know God and obey his word. Verse five says, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. The testing of your faith will come. It's not could, it's not maybe, but the testing of your faith will come. And the question is, will you be found worthy of the kingdom of God? We're not earning our salvation. Let's get that straight. That's not what this is saying. This is saying, are you reflecting in your life a life who is 
of God, who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, who is given, committed, devoted to submitting and surrendering your life to the lead of the Holy Spirit according to God's word. In other words, are you acting, are you behaving in such a way that it reflects that you're a child of God? That's what this is saying. There is a righteous judgment that comes in our present lives as Christians. My question for you is, have you experienced it? I I know if you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, at some point, you would have experienced it, and you will experience it again and again. It's the testing of our faith. Is it genuine? You see, Peter knew this righteous judgment well, and could encourage the church to know what it looks like and how to make best use of it after having been tested. If anyone could speak a word of encouragement to the church, it would be the Apostle Peter, right? I mean, this, was, this was a man who had foot-in-mouth syndrome. He was a man who oftentimes said or spoke before he thought. It was just there. The Apostle uh, Peter was just that, that person. He said and did things he ought not have done. And, and so for anyone, if anyone could give a word of encouragement, it would be the Apostle Peter. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, uh, the Lord Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's the same prayer that Jesus has for you and I. For you and I. You see, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. This is his desire for us too. Well, let's look at the the Apostle Peter. Post-warning. Post-resurrection. 1 Peter chapter 5. In verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after, he says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter knew that. He he knew that firsthand. So he could write these things to the church. We we know this to be true. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is a faith that's been tested and tried and found to be true. That's why we can, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You know what it's there for. You know why you're going through what you're going through. 
Instead of rejecting the word of God, you ought to cling to it. You ought to run to it. You ought to sit at his feet and receive and apply in such a way that you have that peace that surpasses all understanding as you have your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and trust in his promises. It's like, how can he be so peaceful in in such a difficult time? Because perhaps you're trusting in the Lord, in his word, in his promises, they're true. And you have that peace that surpasses all understanding. A faith that's been tested and tried and found to be true. As for any and all who afflict you for your faith and refuse or reject Jesus Christ. They're not rejecting you, by the way. They're, they're rejecting Jesus Christ. The Lord tells the church in Thessalonica, and he tells us today, by the Holy Spirit, that there will come a judgment. And it's not for us to receive to, to seek revenge for those who oppose us in our faith. For they're really, again, opposing God. They're opposing Jesus Christ. They're rejecting Jesus Christ. And they're rejecting salvation, His grace. Please take note of the description of that day. Verse 6, as we read once again, Since indeed God consis- considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. When Jesus shows up and all come to know fully that he has come to judge those who rejected him. Those who are his enemies remain enemies. They, they remain in that place. They remain there. And then in contrast, those who have believed will find relief. They'll, they'll know judgment has come. God is a loving God, but he's also a just God. He wouldn't be a good God if he wasn't loving and just. And those who have believed will marvel, and he will be glorified by the saints. The Christians that persevered and remained steadfast in the Lord. For those who do not know God and reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says here, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. You know, sometimes, you know, the church is given a hard time for, for uh, preaching um, so much on hell. I don't know what churches are given a hard time in these days. Normally a church you go to is really encouraging you with a lot of stuff that you want to hear, unfortunately. As you go through the whole counsel of God, though, you will hear, as you go through what we're covering this morning, hey, listen, there's a warning. God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But you need to know what you're repenting from. And if you remain in your sin, what you're going to. Eternal punishment, separated from the Lord. How they came to believe is what we ought to know ourselves without question. 
without doubt. If I were to ask you this morning, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved and that you will, that the moment you die, you will be with God in all of his glory, that you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that you believe in him, beyond a shadow I pray that each and every one of you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this morning you are, you are saved by the blood of Christ. That you have your eternal position in Christ secured in him in all of eternity. And you know that. We ought to know that without question. Paul said that the people in Thessalonica believed their testimony. It's like, well, how do we come to salvation? We believe. We we believe. Don't make it difficult. Don't complicate salvation. It's not complicated. Do you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt? Jesus is a son of God. He came to die for you. Died and was buried. He was crucified, was buried for your sins and was buried. Three days later, rose from the grave. Do you believe in him? We need to understand what Paul's testimony was. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The most succinct proclamation of the gospel right there. Do you believe Has your belief been tested? And what evidence is there in your life of this confession of faith? Because this is what Paul was writing to the church about. The perseverance of their faith through testing would prove their faith to be genuine. So grow abundantly, know God and obey his word. And lastly, be worthy of your calling. Verse 11 says, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every, good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just in case you thought that perhaps your perseverance of, the perseverance of your faith and love was in your own strength, oftentimes we, we find ourselves doing that Trying to do, uh, well, step one, step two, and step three in order to perhaps, uh, I don't know, grow in, in our faith. It, that's not the way it works. Our evidence of our faith is demonstrated by our works. Right? Faith without works is dead. As you do that, as you express more faith, you are encouraged in your faith. Just know that it's not by your own strength, though, that it comes. It's a gift from God. He gives it to you. He also gives the increase. It's, it's something that as we exercise, what he does is he, he gives us a little bit more. Faithful in the little things, well, he'll give you responsibility for a bit more. He'll entrust you a bit more. Our efforts, quote-unquote, are often self-centered and lead to pride. But a humble submission to being governed by God is known by surrendering to his word and brings meekness to the life of the Christian. It's a strength and a resolve and obedience to God through a humble submission that is immovable. In fact, the, the, the title of this whole Second Thessalonians we're, we're given 
giving to it is unshaken. Unshaken. Have you ever met a person who isn't moved by anything? Someone who doesn't get surprised by the darkness around us? A person that doesn't seem to get riled up when confronted? Someone who just simply lives by the wisdom of God's word and reveals darkness by the standard of darkness as defined by the word of God? Not by my opinion. Not by anyone else's opinion. But defined by the very word of God. Someone who, when, when is, they're confronted with issues personally, is not moved. He's steady. Someone who's constantly resolved for good. In other words, a person who is firmly set, determined to live a life that is sound in Christ, walking in the goodness of his word. Someone who is given, committed, devoted, sacrificially, and joyful to every good work of faith. No matter if they're opposed, no matter if anyone attempts to distract them, make fun of them, belittle them. That person who refuses to budge in the serving of Jesus Christ, no matter who it is. Yes, that person is who Paul was saying he was praying for. Because that person is demonstrating that they are worthy of their calling. And we come to know and are equipped for every good work by knowing and understanding and applying God's word. It's it's as simple as that. But we have to open up God's word. We have to know how it is that we are blessing and glorifying the Lord. What, What types of things... Bring glory to the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Ephesians chapter 10, verse 10, uh, or Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And as we are resolved for good and every work of faith by his power, his spirit, and by the power of his word alive in us, we bring Jesus Christ glory according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So those things are are what's covered here in Paul's first chapter of his second letter to the Thessalonians. To grow abundantly, to know God and obey his word. And to express their lives in such a way that they would be seen to be worthy of their calling before the eyes of God. C.H. Spurgeon said, quote, No faith is so precious as that which lives and triumphs through adversity. Tested faith brings experience. You would never have believed your own weakness had you not needed to pass through trials. And you would never have known God's strength had his strength not been needed to carry you through. Close quote. So let's be worthy of our calling. By giving ourselves to everything that is good and every work that demonstrates our faith in Christ by his power. By knowing God and obeying his word and therefore allowing God to produce an abundance of fruits that people can see. And God is glorified 
through. How? Two things, and I'll leave you with this. Love God and love his people. That seemed like a difficult formula. Not at all, right? Love God, love his people. Learn what that looks like through the word of God. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, thankful and grateful for your grace and your love. Lord, you demonstrated your own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us on the cross. Lord, may we be a people who respond to that love, knowing that sin was conquered on the cross, death was conquered as you resurrected from the grave. How wonderful that is in Christ. Lord, we too, in Christ, have been forgiven of all our sins, and we have been resurrected to new life. We are new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, All things have become new. I pray, Lord, that our lives would reflect that gratitude. That we would be a people completely given to you. And we would desire an abundance of the fruit that comes by the expression of our faith. In the love that we have for you and for one another. Teach us what that is. May we be submitted to, surrendered to, your word that we would walk that out in our own lives. And so, Father, we, uh, we are so thankful, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your love. And we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray.